What's going on, people? Welcome back to Keep It 111. My name is Andy, and as always, I'm joined by the other main man, Sanha. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest uh, on the podcast today. Uh, please introduce yourself, sir. Uh, my name is Henry Rutherford. I am a former co-worker of Andy's, and I'm excited to be here. Nice. And today we got a... We, we got a lineup of some interesting things to talk about, uh, things we don't usually talk about, actually. Uh, the first one's going to be tennis. Um, have we ever talked about tennis on the podcast? Uh -huh. I don't think um, we have. Maybe we talked about Wimbledon briefly. but not, We talked not about Serena, fun. remember? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we did, we did talk about When she was announcing her uh, retirement, we talked about her a little bit. Right, right. Uh, and, well, here is her last uh, Grand Slam, the U.S. Open. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen so far. Uh, plenty of interesting stories leading up to it and then that we've seen in the first two days uh, as round two is underway. We're still in the early stages, but plenty of stories for us to talk about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Premier League as the transfer window wraps up tomorrow and what we've seen so far and the Champions League group stage, uh, the group draws, because that happened last week. And let's take a moment to talk about what we think about the groups and then we'll finally cap it off with an NFL season overview because believe it or not, uh, preseason is very short and it's come to an end. And next week we're going to be seeing week one and Sonhaus going to give us the breakdown for that. Uh, without further ado, the U.S. Open, guys. Um, really interesting stories, obviously, leading up to it. On the men's side, Novak Djokovic uh, won't be playing. And had he been playing, I think most people, and Henry, tell me if you disagree, but uh, most people would slate him to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite. And uh, for the women's section, Serena Williams, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, playing in her last Grand Slam. Uh, any interesting stories that you've been kind of, you know, paying attention to come leading up to the U.S. Open, Henry? Um, I think Novak and Serena are pretty much it, you know, for the headline stories. You're right. Novak is, if he were to play, he, he's, his, his overall game is so good that he just, you know, you can't bet against him. You wouldn't bet against him. Um, but now it comes down to whether Nadal's body holds up, you know, I mean, his talent isn't in question. The man's a genius. Um, and he, he looked good last night, but it, it really, you know, it's, it's seven matches, eight matches, something like that in two weeks. It's a lot. So we'll see what happens there. And if it doesn't, then it opens up, a you know, this sort of, um opportunity for a younger player a hungrier player to get in there which would be very interesting and then with um on the women's side you have serena's swan song and she is like federer older 40 you can see it in her movement but she's still so talented that and as a fan i guess personally you know like i i want to see her do as well as she possibly can before she um before she can't anymore so i think that's obviously the, the headliner, but you also have these younger uh, players. There's a different kind of void on the women's side. There's younger players like Radakanu and Osaka who are excellent and full of talent. Um, and they've won, you know, um, won four majors respectively, which is an amazing accomplishment, but there's nobody who has Serena's, um, I guess, raw talent and ability to, you know, assert herself in multiple majors over and over again. So that's the big question on the women's side for me and for everybody is who's going to step up into that void, who is going to become the next 
dominant player. And so that's exciting to follow. Yeah, and uh, this tournament, I've been reading a little bit on it, and it's it's a tournament that has already had its share of upsets. Tsitsipas is a notable one on the men's side. Tsitsipas, he, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and he was knocked out in the first round. And again, you know, the chances for the other guys, you know, just gets a little bit clearer. And, you know, with, with Djokovic and Tsitsipas out, I was looking at the favorites, and, I mean, they're – you know, the odds makers are saying even guys like Curios looking like they have a chance to, you know, make some noise. And I don't know if that's a little bit of recency bias from the from, from Wimbledon kind of kicking in there, but um, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, it looks like the field is a little bit narrower than we'd expect, you know, given what we've seen in day one and leading up to it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's the, the fun part about tennis is that you, you really can't, it's hard to delineate between recency bias and, um, and you know, just pure talent because it's there's only four of these events and so much comes down to chance. And a guy like Tsitsipas, you know, he. Um, speaking of recency bias, I think back to the French Open last year when he played Djokovic and he was up. He had three match points or something. I and don't quote me on this, but he was he was two sets up and he had Novak at the death at the French and then Novak just came back and cemented his legend shot by shot over the next three hours. And I remember sitting on my couch thinking like, yeah, <laughs> this guy's made of something that's not of this earth. You know, he's just so, so, so good. And so when you have um, someone like Tsitsipas fall it, it, so early, it just feeds that narrative, right? It feeds that recency bias. Like, well, he's, he's still not mentally all his game is his game may be there, but it's hiding. And you have someone like Kyrgios who is, is on fire, who, who had the best result of his life. He's a personality. He's funny. He is, um, he is controversial. I mean, he's a star in the way that tennis does not usually allow. So I think for him, uh, he provides an awesome storyline. Yeah. Like one of the most polarizing figures. And the thing is, is I'm not going to lie. It's a, uh, maybe it could be categorized as like a guilty pleasure, but whenever there's like a match that like a headline match that he's featured in, I mean, that's probably one of the few times I'll actually tune in and watch yeah. just because just not only right, like his antics, you know, with, um, I guess, I guess in, in soccer or football terms, you call it shithousery and, and yeah. he just does all of that, you know, with messing around with the officials, you know, like, you know, the verbal kind of taunting and, and of course, you know, it translates to his game as well. Like, you know, with throwing underhand serves and all this stuff that, you know, just makes him look like he's really not taking the game, you know, as seriously as a consummate professional should, but I mean, I'm all for it. I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's fun as hell to watch him. It is. He's a, he's a total shithouser and it's, and it, it just, I mean, he's got tattoos, right? He, he doesn't take it seriously with the underarm serves. And then, and then he'll riff off like three or four aces at 125 miles an hour. Like it's nobody's business. I mean, his raw game is incredible and he knows it. And um, he is like so many of the American sports stars that we have come to know and love. You know, like if you think back to um, the, the battles of, well, I guess the nineties NBA, but also in our, our time, you know, you think about the epic shit houses, the Kobe Bryant's, the AIs, the, um, you know, in recent years, I mean, you guys, you know, have your own stars too, that you follow, you know, like 
in terms of your favorite teams growing up, you know, I'm a Celtics fan. So, you know, um, mine's Marcus smart, but like, you know, you, you latch onto that guy who just really like makes the game kind of fun, you know, because they may not be the best player out there. They may not be the, um, they may not be the Roger Federer or the LeBron, but they really, uh, they really make it something else. So you're right. Uh, and so I guess now that, you know, like we mentioned the, the the fate the field of favorites is kind of narrowing by the day. Um, who do you think in the remaining field is you know got your pick to win it all? Is it is it Nadal? You know, with the talent, but questions with the frailty, or is it somebody like Medvedev who is the favorite on paper? What are you thinking? Um, I think if Nadal stays healthy, he'll win. I think he's too good. I think he's too smart, and I think he's done it too many times. Um, but if he starts to break down, Medvedev has a great chance. Um, he plays the role of uh, the villain really well. And um, it, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's from Russia. You've got this narrative of the war in the backdrop and he's still competing. And he's, you know, this magnanimous guy who is really, um, you know, not at all um, overtly political in any way, you know, so that endears him to a lot of fans. And because it's being held in America, there's an there's a million extra narratives you could talk about, but I think his game is the strongest. I think his mental game is the strongest out of anybody else besides Nadal. So it's it's gonna come down to one of them or, or maybe a guy like Berrettini who, um, mm. who can really serve, he can really hit, and it just has to be a good day for him. So I think Berrettini, Kyrgios, Nadal, those kind of guys have a shot if, um, if they, have their best day, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's not like the NBA where you have a series or a season, you know, it's, it's uh, you got to have your best day that day, you know? Um, so it adds a different level for sure. Yeah. I think like it, it's upsets are so easy to come across in tennis and it's, it, it, it is for precisely those reasons that whenever there's a player like Nadal or Federer or like a Djokovic that can, you know, repeatedly put up, you know, grandstand numbers. I mean, uh, I mean, we hear it a lot, right? It's, uh, that was a, I mean, arguably, you know, that we're still in that era, but we're kind of reaching the end of it. But, you know, that, that, much, yeah. this is a golden era, right? Of tennis in terms of like looking at, you know, just players that are just killing it, like single individuals. And, you know, do you think that, you know, once these guys are gone and we're going to see a field where, you know, not a single person is, you know, winning two majors or two grand slams in a, in a season, or do you think there's going to be, do you have like, is there somebody new that's coming up that you think is going to take on that role? Um, I don't know. Cause I'm not old enough. <laughs> I think, you know, it's like, I'd love to say that I knew, but I, I really don't because I think that anybody um, has anybody with the right circumstances right that has it's in any sport anybody who has the right circumstances the right mindset and a little bit of luck can really seize that so it's going to come down to who fits that pattern you know and um that question is is exists in soccer exists in i mean for for our generation right like we're all in our mid late 20s right we've seen these guys like lebron tom brady you know dominate their respective sports for so many years and now the stars are starting to wane um and I think in tennis, there's no exception. Nobody really knows because no one has stepped up and said, this is mine yet. Um, so I, and 
I guess to answer your question more directly, I don't see anybody or I haven't seen anybody that makes me say, oh, they could win 20 majors on the men or women's side. You know, I see people who I think, yeah, maybe three majors, maybe two, maybe, um, you know, maybe even five, but nobody who has um, the the skills of the big three or, or Serena's skills, you know, so, and that's a testament to those four players too, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the women's side, uh, also with an upset, the defending champion Radakanu has been yeah. knocked out. And so, that one also is like, you know, who's really going to be there to take it? Um, I mean, do you see any clear favorites in that uh, field right now? Well, I mean, she got knocked out last night, but Naomi Osaka for sure has the game um, and has the mindset to win as majors, as many majors as she wants. I mean, she, the raw talent is there. The tactics are there. The, um, the, you know, the everything, the intangibles are there. I think she just has, she struggles with the media side of the game. There's been some reports, you know, and um, Ash Barty, who was the last woman, um, Australian woman who was the last, like, I don't know, double major winner right in a row. She kind of came into that void after Osaka stopped winning her majors consecutively. And even Ash Barty said, you know, the, the, the media side, the, the mental scrutiny that you face as a player can be really debilitating. And, but I think in terms of just raw skill, it's Osaka. She is the one who has the power and the, uh, the game to sustain a run at the top. I mean, she's what, 22 years old and she's got four majors already. That's something Andy Murray hasn't done. And Andy Murray is 35, you know? And yeah. we, we looked at Andy Murray and we were like, you know, oh, you're gonna be the one that's promised, you know, you can return any shot. And it turned out, uh, his old, his old man body just couldn't handle it. No offense to Andy Murray. I love Andy Murray, but you know, it's really good to handle it. So I think, I think on the women's side, it's, it's Osaka if she wants it, but I think also she, you know, um, tennis is a different game than it was 15 years ago. Right. Like there's, there's much more money in endorsements. There's much more emphasis on um, being a whole person, I think, rather than just being, um, a tennis machine or or a sports machine in general you know and so when you look at the stars who are sub 25 in any sport i think um they become presented with a whole different set of challenges related to social media and our our world and their place in it you know as a millennial or a gen z uh, person that that ends up being um ends up giving their career a different complexion so we'll see you know yeah, I mean that that's a that's a good point. And tennis is is kind of unique, right? Than other sports because all that media criticism isn't you know channeled towards a team or, or a group of individuals. It's kind right. of on the single person, and and the player represents the performance of the you know of the entire quote unquote organization in a game like tennis, right? It's it's just it's, so it's just on another level of you know. Well, well, the, on the bright side though. You know, that also means that the glory is, you know, right. solely credited to you if you are, you know, to take it. And it, um, it's like chess, you know, um, it, it really <laughs> is like chess. And uh, it's it's down to your it's down to your not only skill, but your mental fortitude. And, and it starts and ends with you. You know, it's a long game. Um, the moves you make in the beginning 
sort of our preludes to the end, to the middle, you know, I mean, and, and tides can turn, mistakes can be made. It's a really singular individual thing. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, just the highs and highs and lows from a mental perspective, just on another level. Because yeah, like if you if you're playing for a a, a football team or a, a, a soccer team or a basketball team, and your team has a poor night, you know, you unless you're the team captain, maybe you probably have to be the one to take the interviews. But you know, if you, if you are a star player, you may not necessarily have to. You know, you might not have to be the person who has to step into that interview room and kind of face all those questions. When you're sure. you know, feeling like extra shit, right? <laughs> and, exactly. Um, but uh, with tennis, you kind of have no choice because I believe, right? They they do post uh, uh, post match like you know interview conferences for like every single player, right? I think and, so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I, I I know they do them for at least the stars, if not every um, every single player after a certain point in the tournament. Yeah. You know, like maybe maybe after the third round or something. But I don't really know that. I I. Uh, I would imagine. So, and it's intense though. Yeah. Um, I mean, anything else you wanted to add somehow about tennis? Can you, can you give us our, your thoughts on Coco? I, I, Coco I, I live, yeah, I'm based out of Atlanta. So I have a, oh, nice. I have a little bit of a bias, you know, towards Coco, but obviously, you know, she kind of rose almost like, you know, super rapidly. Right. Uh, uh, up the ranks, like she's ranked like almost top ten now, right? In the in the women's singles, um, number yeah. one in doubles. Like, what do you think about her potential? She's super young. She's only eighteen years old. Um, I obviously about still that every time. Yeah, obviously still in this turn, right? Yeah, it, it's amazing that she's only eighteen, right? Um, and and totally. already ranked the way that she is, has a lot of accomplishment. Yet doesn't have a major win yet. So, wh wh what do you think? Um, I think that. I, I probably overlooked her when you guys asked, who do you think can really take over that mantle? So I'm really glad you brought her up. I think she does have the raw materials, but she's in that category of player where um, it's kind of, I don't know, this isn't in any official grouping by media standards or the sports standards, but just how like I've seen it, like in that category of player who is talented enough to win a major or who has won a major, right? And then you 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 sit in that group and you say, all right, well, I've been there, but now it's the getting back. And that's what separates people who, um, who in any sport, you know, cement their legends and become luminaries this is, is getting back to that stage and winning again. And I think she has the talent. And like I, like I said, um, I forget she's 18, you know, um, so for her to play as well as she has to get to finals, you know, to um, to play with composure, too. I mean, I watched her at the French and she just doesn't like she's not flat um, flustered at all ever. So I think that bodes really well. And I think if you're looking long term, I think it's that mental game. You know, it's um, even Federer, their stories, you know, he used to break rackets. Right. And then all of a sudden. Boom, he became a machine, something clicked and something, you know, something slotted. So I think with her, if she keeps that up, yeah, she could definitely win a major. And then it, um, once she tastes that, you know, once she gets to that echelon, then it's down to her, you know, because she has the skills to win more. I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think like, I, I think every time like a goat, like Serena, or you know Michael Jordan passed right, or someone else, and and whatever sport when they retire, everyone's always kind of searching for that next person, right? You're always looking yeah. for who's going to replace that person. Um, 
And I just think, like, because she's American, because she's um, ascended at such a young age already, um, because she she already has told herself or, like, uh, has spoken about herself and her motivation about that, like, you know, watching Serena motivated her, right, to become the tennis player that she is. Like, all these things just, like, kind of coalesce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The narrative is there. Yeah. And so I so desperately, like, as a sports fan, I want it to happen because the narrative would be so great. Like it would yeah. be, it would be something fantastic for people to write about, for for us to hear about, for in the future for there to be a documentary about, right? Like that would be amazing. Um, so as a sports fan, as like a narrative fan, like I desperately want it to happen. Um, I, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's there. I think it's there. The the tracks are laid, you know, and I think she's um, she's perfectly poised. You know, it's just that one last step. And then she'll rock it too. And also, you know, like you still grow too when you're oh, know, yeah. 19, 20, you know, so the physical growth of players from 18 to 23, maybe, you know, like that'll have an effect too. That'll only help her, you know, she'll only get bigger. She'll only get faster. She'll only get stronger. And because she's doing it at a high level, like you said, at such a young age, um, going through those motions will make her a better player. And I think she, um, you know, I mean, what better role model, right? Serena's Serena's it. So, yeah, I think we can expect a lot from her. I'm excited. Anything else? Yeah, I can't believe she's 18. That's like a... Yeah, it's nuts. I feel like I, I, I first heard of that name, like, I don't know, like five years ago. Yeah, already like, years right, ago, right? Like yeah. Exactly. <laughs> she's, she's, like, she's like an old, um, an old pro on tour now already. Yeah, it's crazy. It really crazy. is. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Let's move on. Uh, Sweet. The Premier League. Premier League, we well, actually, you know, the the first kind of midweek uh, matches we saw this week and, you know, some results. I mean, I guess let's let's briefly talk about the results because I think it, it, it lays a lot of context for, you know, how we're evaluating the transfer market because as fans, we are so, we're so short-sighted and we have such short-term memory that, um, you know, anything that happened recently, you know, kind of really, you know, paints the transfer window for a lot of these teams, you know, entirely. And uh, I mean, Henry, you're here. You're a Chelsea supporter. Uh, <laughs> didn't, yeah. look, did, didn't look their best. Um, didn't know, look their I best know. yesterday, man. An L against Southampton. But a lot of moves have already been made and moves are already coming in. Wesley Fofana, of course, hasn't taken the field yet. Yeah, uh, that's maybe Vardiol right. is on his way. Uh Still open talks about Obama Yang, you know, like, what do you want to see happen? What, well, first of all, what do you see as like, you know, the problem, the thing that Chelsea needs the most right now? And, you know, what do they need to do? Um, are any of these transfers that you see kind of in the rumors, you know, the solution? Do you think, you know, they're not it? You know, I want to hear your take on it. Um, well, I, you know, I guess I have to qualify it by saying like, I'm just a fan. So, you know, there are probably things that like, I can't see, you know, two years down the road that Tuchel can see, right? You know, so in, and in some ways, we're all a bit of a Todd Bailey, you know, as Americans, like we, you know, we don't, <laughs> we, we didn't grow up with it, right? Like, we're just like, wow, this is really amazing. And I'm doing this now. And I'm into this. And I really like, you know, um, but I think, I think overall, it's, it's going in the right direction because Bailey trusts Tuchel. And I, I believe in Tuchel. I think he's a smart guy. 
Um, he is, he can be really intense, which I think will end up getting him fired <laughs> at some point, but you never know. I think in terms of transfers, um, like you asked, the Fafana transfer is on its face, too much money, but also the right player. I mean, he plays with grace, plays with elegance and grit. He's 6'3 and 21 years old. He was schooled in France, you know, which is a finishing school for, um, just unbelievable technique. I mean, the lineage of players that have come out of France are speak for themselves. So, you know, that is the right call. I, I don't think, I know we need a striker. We talked about this, you know, we chatted about this before. Like, I know we need a striker, but it's hard for me to co-sign on Obama Yang because he's just, he's 33, you know, the man scores goals, but he's 33. And so for me as a fan, I'm saying to myself, you know, do I really want those, that 20 a season for, this one season to stunt the development of someone like Broya or Havertz or, or Mount, you know, who have all this potential, you know, the world at their feet who have played in finals, you know? Um, so I, it's, it's hard to answer that question, but I think, you know, they're trying and the Fafana is the right direction, but definitely could use Frankie de Jong. Anybody could use Frankie de Jong, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, th I think Liverpool could use him a lot. Uh, Fra oh my a guy God. Like Frankie de Jong. I mean, their midfield is looking a little bit, you know, uh, it's a little paltry. bit thin. It's this really year, bad. You know? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, can't I know. be starting guys like Milner, but um, <laughs> he's, he's a great not, player. Not at his age, old, you know. Yeah. yeah oh my god, he's like thirty-seven. He's yeah. what um, is he? Late thirties. Thirty-six now. Yeah, for sure. Thirty-six. Yeah, that's old. And that's yeah. unfortunate because when he was like thirty. I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be bad. Like, you'd be a mid-table team if your entire team was just James Milner. Like, if you had right. 11 oh, James yeah. Milners on the field, you'd probably be a mid-table. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. He's a smart guy, you know? He may not be the most physically gifted, but, like, he, he listens and he, you're totally right. They would just, they would sail yeah, under man. the instruction of, like, a Pep or a, Jose, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, he'd be, it'd be a perfect Jose Mourinho team. <laughs> so exactly. so practical. So <laughs> so utilitarian. Yeah, uh, exactly. he's just really getting exactly. down and dirty. Oh my. Uh, Sana, who are you a fan of? Remind me. Oh, I'm a fan of um. <laughs> just so we can orient ourselves. <laughs> okay. All right. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling mm -hmm. um. This is a huge win against Liverpool. I mean, yes, obviously, I'm still riding the hype of the Liverpool win. Um, the Southampton win was, you know, we got three points, so it's fine. I wasn't, like, super impressed, but listen, Old United would have drawn or lost that game. So, yeah. I, <laughs> so I'm glad that we, we pulled out the win there against an opponent that we, we needed to pull out a win against. Um, I don't know. I just... I, I just really want to see Casemiro out there. Um, yeah, 100%. I want to. I want to see that he's not washed yet, because oh, I don't think so. I because think we yeah. seem to always get players and then wash them. Like we wash them. Like the like the, <laughs> by the by the by virtue of them entering Old Trafford, they become washed somehow. So. I'm really hoping that this time, this time with a world-class player like Casemiro, that does not happen. And, and if that's the case, 
if he if he keeps his world class form, I told I told Andy last week <laughs> that we're going top four. But listen, if Casemiro stays world class, we could be top four. Why why is that unreasonable? I don't think it's unreasonable at all. I think he's a great player. See? You know? I think he's a great player. I think Varane's a great player. I think it's a lot to ask, but I do think. I mean, I don't know what, and you can tell me how you feel about this, but I believe in Ten Hag, you know? I believe in, like, when I see him on the side of the field, I'm yeah. like, yeah. It's like, Andy, we've talked about this, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this with Conte. You know, you see that you see that guy standing there, and you're like, all right, he is going to take what is a group of players who have exceptional talent, you know, but may not always use it in the correct way, and just elevate them. And I think Ten Hag absolutely could do that. You know, he, he dropped Ronaldo. He finally bit that in the butt, you know, I mean, come on. He, Ronaldo has been toiling. I watched him get out sprinted by, um, I can't even remember the guy's name, but he was out sprinted, you know, and that's his whole thing. I mean, yeah, it's that just, is his whole thing. It's his whole thing is, is beating players um, and asserting his Ronaldo physical dominance. And, yeah, and he just right. can't do that anymore. So I think Ten Hag really had to say no and, and dropping players like Fred and McTominay as lovable as they've been, you know, I mean, how do you feel? You know, it's been you've you've been watching for years. I I think it, he I like that he's doing the things that he's doing. I like that he like obviously the big the big one was dropping Maguire right for the Liverpool match. Oh yeah, totally. Um, after what has felt like years, which really has only been like what two years of him. Yeah, two, I don't know, give or take of yeah. him like terrorizing us basically from within. <laughs> um. So it, it was just so refreshing to see um, a manager willing to drop Maguire from the starting lineup at Old Trafford, right, against our biggest rivals. Um, so I think that is promising. Um, we also just signed, uh, th- this is official now, I think, I think it's official, Anthony from, from Ajax from... Uh, yeah. from his old squad, and I'm very excited about him because Ajax really did not want to let this guy go. Um, I don't know how Manchester United finessed it because I'm pretty sure they were like dead set on not letting him go um, over the summer, but it, somehow we, we finessed it, and we need, we need a guy like this. We need a young forward who is not fucking marcus rashford who is not martial <laughs> like who is not any of these like guys who we thought maybe could get there but never end up ended up getting there we need we need a fresh face we need someone who's not fucking cristiano ronaldo to to yeah. get in here right um and and kind of ride the momentum from from the liverpool match that's why i was a little disappointed with the one nil at uh against southampton because i felt like the the one yeah it's a win but I just felt like we lost some of the wind um behind our sails if you will right um where I feel like we it, it was pretty important that we kind of keep that going um but you know a win's a win with the win we have not lost True. the wins right we have we haven't lost the momentum completely yet so th- that's at least something we can build upon we can continue to build upon um so I'm I told Andy last week I'm cautiously optimistic going yeah. forward um 
And I, I would be, I would be. I mean, if you juxtapose the one Oh win against Southampton versus Chelsea's game against Southampton, That'd be true. that is, it looks a lot better. True. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. We got outdone by, um, by Adam Armstrong, <laughs> you know, and, um, it was just, I'll tell you, I was, I was pretty embarrassed with that. <laughs> so, you know, I, th- I think you're in a good vein for sure. I agree with it. I agree with what you're saying. hundred percent. Yeah. It should be, uh, it should be, it should be exciting. We, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, I gotta say, uh, you know, I gotta like set the record straight, you know, for, <laughs> for the listeners, because, you know, no, Henry's like, you know, Henry, Henry's on, you know, as a guest, guest appearance, you know, you know, being civil with, you know, <laughs> with Sanha's, you know, what? just shambolic taste. Like, like that's like, it, it, it's, there are just so many reasons why Manchester United have absolutely no shot at top four. First of all, there's, I think there's been too much, you know, stock given into Ten Hag. Okay. He comes from like a farmer's league and the, the most meaningful memory that world football fans have of him is choking a huge lead <laughs> to the biggest chokers in Europe That's in true. a Champions League semifinal. That was That's a true. highlight that we had last seen him in, okay? And so, you know, to me, like, you know, asserting dominance in, you know, in, in, in the league where Ajax are like basically the only relevant team ever, you know, maybe PSV's got an outside shout, but, you know, they're by far in terms of the finances too, they spend more than, I think I saw a graphic somewhere, they spend more than the other teams combined. And so it's, there are levels to it. And so he's already playing in such an easy league and then he comes to Manchester United this is way too early for us to kind of put stock into him and put faith into him that he's actually a good manager. I agree with, you know, the decision to move Maguire to the bench and Ronaldo to the bench. But again, I also told Sanha this, that I believe that it was out of necessity after losing 4-0 to Brighton. Like, like at that point, like you could do anything. You just need to change something. And, you know, the, the change to me, like he was backed into a corner and then he says, finally, okay, well, what's the one thing that we have never actually changed? And that's McGuire in the starting lineup because he's always been the mainstay because we spent 80 million pounds on him. And so he's been the mainstay. And so now yeah. he's like, okay, desperate times call for desperate measures. And he did the one thing that, you know, he's never done, that the organization's never done. He benches McGuire and then he fortunately comes out with a win against Liverpool. And so, like, you know, I, I just don't see, like, you know, any of, you know, their Manchester's recent success coming off of anything tangible that like I think was produced by his genius and finally it's I mean like are we seriously thinking that after bringing in a 22 year old winger from Ajax again a farmer's league you know okay Casemiro I can see is a good transfer but are we really saying a 22 year old Brazilian winger who has never scored more than 10 goals in a farmer's league is going to come in and make Manchester United a top 14 that's we have to still remember there is still Tottenham, there is still Arsenal, there is still Chelsea in this league, and they're all vying for the top four. And so this is not like you know Manchester United is trying to you know you know bump and you know uh, bruise with you know some other 
teams that are already well set and they've shown, you know, true potential to actually get this top four spot. And like, you know, come on. So you saying they're going to make it to the top four, that is, that's not cautious (laughs) optimism. That's, listen, that's insanity. Listen, on, listen, man. listen, listen. <laughs> when, when we're in Champions League next season, and y'all are in Europa, you could talk to me then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and by the way, way Arsenal's got five wins, man. Like, like they're looking right. really good too. And so but it's, that's like, the exact it's thing. only going to be harder. It's only going to be harder, but Arsenal have five wins, right? This is the Arsenal that bottled it at the very end of the season last year. Hell yeah. After Chelsea, Chelsea fell asleep for games, games on end, and they rode their luck to the end. Whereas Arsenal, you have this Arsenal team, right, that, that just has this habitual ability to bottle it. And with Man United, I think, and yeah, you know, I do want to be nice. I'm not sure that they'll make the top four, but I do, I do believe in the self-belief behind a club that thinks that they'll get there. Right. Like I do think that there's a certain kind of magic and I see it with United fans and I see it with Bayern fans. I see it with Real Madrid fans. If you want to talk about teams that shouldn't be there, but got there, look at Madrid, right? Look at the way they carried themselves on the back of an insane Kareem Benzema a man who was possessed of, like Djokovic, otherworldly spirit for nice. months on end. I mean, who knows what he's eating, right? But the dude is the dude was unbelievable. And that team, you watch that team play, they were worse than Chelsea. They were worse than PSG. They were worse than Man City. There was a statistic to back up, Andy, your love of Kyle Walker, which I'm always sort of hating on silently. There's a statistic that said that Real had almost – had zero goals, like, you know, the, um, what's the opposite of the lion's share, the mouse's share of possession for the 79 minutes that Kyle Walker was on the pitch, right? And then for the rest of the time, they scored six goals, you know? So <laughs> it, it does come down, I think, to little, it can come down to little tweaks in personnel. It can come down to the belief behind, um, a group of people so i you know i mean do i think united's in the top four no um but look at chelsea you know everyone looks at them every year and says chelsea's gonna be in the top four you know it's chelsea that's what they do and they look they're stanking right now they are terrible they're just you know they're making bad decisions they're not getting to the ball you know you've got like you said tottenham is a new proposition with kulisevsky i mean helping out son and kane that's a whole different kettle of fish with Conte. i think you have to look at I don't know. I can see both sides of the argument. Listen, I'm just saying, Henry and I are going to be watching Champions Football next year, and uh, <laughs> Andy, I don't know what to say for you. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I think Spurs, <laughs> I mean, you're grinding out results, right? What was today? Uh, today, it was, today it was, was a draw? draw? It was a draw, right? Yeah. Today was a draw. I mean, I can blame it on Basuma, just like not, you know, it, it was. it was a game where Tottenham, I think, you know, we're kind of trying out new players. Basuma, I mean, well, he was the only new introduction, but um, he was just not playing progressively at all. Hoybeer got into a little um, incident and he was kind of nursing a little bit of a, a bump as well. And I think uh, it really came down to, you know, just missing Christian Romero from the back, yeah. who really is the source of, you know, creativity from the back that we 
don't really have otherwise. And bringing in a guy like Davinson Sanchez to be the replacement. And Davinson will give you good, you know, solid defense. He's gotten a lot better. He makes less mistakes now, but he still can't pass to save his life. And so <laughs> he really can't. That's what true. happens is West Ham was, I mean, credit to credit to Moyes because he he put together an interesting game plan, right? For yeah. first half, he he plays, you know, not as high of a press, you know, tries to let Spurs have the ball, conserve the energy. And then, you know, second half, they really saw the the opportunity to start pressing, try to test Sanchez and yeah. try to test the back line and see if they could, you know, string together some passes. And it was it was enough to stifle them. And, um, you know, they got back in and they scored the goal and then ended up 1-1. But, you know, it's, it's um, West Ham had a really rough start to the season, but they're also, they're still West Ham. And they brought in guys like uh, Paqueta. Uh, they brought in Skamaka. And so, like, they're going to be, they're still going to be relevant, I think. Uh, and... And I'm telling you, Sonha, Manchester United, they got to worry about teams like West Ham and stuff before they can start looking at top four. You know what? You know what? I just want to say something. I just want to say something. Fuck David Moyes. <laughs> Fuck that guy. That guy ruined our uh, club. That guy ruined my team. Did he ruin your club or team? Or was it, was it Alex Ferguson too long? Nah, nah, nah. I... I love Ferguson too much to to put any blame on him. Okay, don't do that to me. Right, but like, it, that's fair. You can't, you can't, you have to love Ferguson as as even as a as an opponent. I love Ferguson, but <laughs> David Moyes. I mean, he was he was the wrong guy. I understand what you're saying. Wrong, yes, he you know was. I mean? He was the wrong guy. He's the perfect mid club manager, and that's what he's he should be. Mid- exactly. Right. He, he walked is... into a hot kitchen and got burned immediately. Yeah. He was he... like, wow, I really am not a chef. Exactly. You know? <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's like this guy. This guy makes the best fucking Big Macs on the earth, but you put him into a real restaurant. <laughs> ain't no way. Ain't no way. Yeah. He had trouble with the vinaigrette. It was, yeah, it, it was, was rough. It was it rough. Was tough. It was rough. Um. Anyway, fuck that guy. Um. <laughs> but speaking of Champions League, you know the, uh, you know the, the Champions League and Sanha. I know. I know you won't uh, be able to enjoy this conversation as much. As what do you mean? I see my but... team right there. <laughs> <laughs> Out of delusional. Yeah, Andy, where are you? Where are you? What do you think? Where are you? Where's Tottenham this year? Uh, well, well, Tottenham is in a. I think it's it's a pretty okay. Well, here's the thing. It's like whenever easy things come Tottenham's way, that's when we should be the most <laughs> you know afraid. And okay. but. The, the fact of the matter is, is that it is a manageable group. You know, Marseille, Sporting, and um, what's the other team? Frankfurt, dude. Frankfurt. Yes, yes. I tried Frankfurt. Yes. Bro. Yes. So, I mean, we got, we got, I mean, we should be finishing first, right? Like on paper. Right. But I don't think we are. Well, no, I reserve the right to say that I think they could still finish second because Jeez. at the end of the day, we, you need to the thing about like you know especially if you're a premier league team is that it doesn't matter as much for other teams coming from like you know farmers leagues like you know i don't know like the portuguese league or like the french league like it doesn't really matter to them as much the league games that they need to like put up a competitive you know starting 11 every single day you know and sometimes yeah. you know they could they could really you know focus a lot of their resources on the champions league group stages and Tottenham might not really do that, so I can see, uh, you know, 
Tottenham playing it more strategically to you know secure the uh, secure the the playoff berths and then you know just you know rest your guys in the last year something like that I could see that happening um, mm-hmm. especially because at the end of the day Tottenham even with all the transfers is not you know I wouldn't call it a deep squad. You know, you call teams like City, you call teams like Liverpool deep squads. I don't call Tottenham a deep squad yet. I think like their depth is okay. Their back depth, their, their depth at the back is still very concerning as well. And so, yeah, you know, I they'll make it up first or second. They should make it up first, you know, at full strength. But I don't really know if that's going to happen. Um, I could see like, you know, maybe playing the young guys, you know, one game and then they lose it or something like that. And so, um, but they should that's absolutely. That's an interesting question, right? like that first or second, you should finish first, right? But as a fan, when you're looking in November, gun to your head, do you want to finish first? And do you want to, do you want to, you know, have the likelihood that you, you draw a minnow, but the possibility that you're facing whoever doesn't get out of Barcelona, Bayern, right? Because you know how you have that situation at the end of um, the groups, like whoever finishes second can sometimes be Chelsea, Juventus, Atletico. And each one of those teams is really difficult in their own way, especially Atletico. Like they write, you know, pundits love Atletico because they're the perfect foil. You know, anytime anyone plays Atletico, it's uh, this team's strength versus Diego Simeone. Run to right? the bathroom, I'll be right back. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, so so as a fan, do you do you do you want to finish first, and do you want to see somebody like Barcelona, who maybe couldn't beat Bayern, but is still an amazing team at at least as they look under Xavi, or, or would you rather? I mean, not that Conte will play this way. Conte will play to finish first, right? But do you, in, in your, in the back of your head, are you saying, "Oh man, I kind of like to finish second and, um, you know, kind of and end up with maybe a weak group stage um, winner, which of which there are a few, admittedly, or um, play a, a heavyweight in which you match up well, you know? Because the reality for me, as an outside fan of Conte. Is that you have somebody, you have players, Son, Kane, Kulisevsky, who can beat anybody. So, I mean, where are you at with that? Um, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, I think first and foremost, the group for me, getting out of the group stage, first of all, I don't feel too concerned about. Right. You know, it's like as long as it's not a horrible day, which you know, even the A team or the B team can have a horrible day and lose. But it, even if the B team is playing to their regular level, we should be getting out of the group stage, in my opinion, right? And yeah. to me, the bigger you know, priority is maintaining top four because that race, I mean, it's getting tighter. It's getting tighter. It feels tighter. I feel like the Premier League in general feels a lot more competitive this year. It doesn't seem like there are like any like easy outs really except for, you know, maybe the, you know, the Bournemouths and, you know, even Nottingham Forest is like, yeah. they've made a lot of additions like on paper. So I think we need to, first of all, prioritize conserving, you know, the top four for next yeah. year. And so, so for me, I'm okay with benching, you know, some of the star players in one or even two games in the Champions League group stages to make sure that we can have the best starting 11 week in week out in the Premier League. And then once we get to the knockout stages, then we can talk. But it's like, it's, it's yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I think that's a bigger thing that I'm looking at personally, rather than like, who am I going to like play in 
the uh, in the first knockout stage because yeah. it's like that's kind of more out of like our control and it's like it's it's a little bit hard for us to really you know we might get burned you know for trying to play a strategy <laughs> you don't want to dream that, that big unless off, like, you know the, the, yeah yeah like it's it's a little bit much i think i mean what about you i mean how do you see your group um chelsea um uh and their situation in? because that's you know they, um, well, it's not it's not a horrible group i mean no, it's not a horrible group. I, I think you beat Milan um, and you lose to Milan once and once. I don't know where, you know, but um, it's going to come down to whether Tuchel has Reese James and Chilwell available, I think. I think that Reese James is uh, a genius, a little genius, you know, that the man is gifted. I think Chilwell is gifted. And I think that the pieces are there to mask the glaring deficiencies, those being Jorginho's mobility, Thiago Silva's mobility. I mean, Thiago Silva, talk about someone who has no deficiencies. He is 37, right? Like, you know, as well as he reads the game, he's 37. You know, we don't have somebody who is Diego Costa. We don't have a Harry Kane. You know, we don't have a Salah or a Holland, you know, for that matter, and a focal point. Um, So I think that the team is good enough to mask the deficiencies and get out of the group um, first. Uh, but I, I think it's going to take a, a little bit of luck for us to get out as first. Otherwise Milan will take it, you know, uh, Milan have a good team. They haven't changed much. Um, you know, they have slots on <laughs> in the dressing room telling people, still. you know, <laughs> right. Still exactly. You know, just like willing them with the spirit of slots you know, and all of the, all of the accompanying, um, I don't know, just history that that man has, you know, and skill that he probably imparts. You know, it's, it's crazy. And so I think that I think Chelsea will, will play well, and then it, it really just depends. You know, I think if we if we see Bayern in the round of sixteen, we we might get toasted. You know, but um, you know, I'm fine playing Atleti. I'm fine playing Juve. I'm fine playing Barcelona. Fine playing City. You know, uh, well. Actually, maybe not with Holland, but <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I am totally not fine with playing City, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Did you, did you watch his hat trick? Yeah, honestly, today? like the, the, the dude is gonna bag like fifty this year. Like he's gonna something crazy. I know he's insane. Yeah. He, he is. There's a this cartoonist who draws him as a machine. He really is a total machine. You know, he's in the right place at the right time. And this comes back to the conversation we were having earlier with the next great player, right? In the next great tennis player, the next great whoever, you know, I think on, yeah. on balance, uh, other than Mbappe, you know, um, and Pedri, um, it's got to be Holland, you know, he just, he scores goals like for fun in a way that maybe, um, maybe only Lewandowski does, you know, just in clutches. I mean, Harry Kane's up there too, obviously. To give credit where I, credit think, I think Holland's really got the stuff to like, be on another level than those two even he does Honestly, he like, does and, and because like first and foremost even guys like Mbappe like when like compared to like an Mbappe like Holland is in such a good environment no toxicity in the team amazing manager he's like the lone striker like in terms of like pure numbers like he's gonna be doing like unreal stuff uh, at city and I so, so too. The, the resume is like you know poised to 
you know, just be on an epic level because we still look at PSG, right? And do we think that they're going to win a Champions League? It's like every year the expectations and like the projections seem to become worse. Uh, yeah. Whereas City is, you know, arguably at an all-time high now. And like, I know City's like, you know, they, they also have like a habit of underperforming when it comes to, you know, European competition. But yeah. I mean, they keep breaking the ceiling and they just keep exceeding as a squad. And so they break the ceiling. But I think you... Holland's really like, you know, yeah, the best poised player, I think, you know, even better poised than Mbappe. I think he is. He, he doesn't seem to be affected by anything mentally. You know, the dude just seems to um, to live, live to score goals. And Mbappe, you know, is talented like that and unquestionably has a different skill set. So it's hard to grade them one to one. But I, I think you're right. I think <laughs> I think Holland actually has more of a backbone, more of a stone cold killer mentality than the city team. And I think it's going to be really interesting in the latter stages to see whether cities sort of pathologize incompetence in the, at the, in the end game takes over, you know, because if you look at the Champions Leagues that Pep won, they won because of Messi, right? They won because there was one man who said, I mean, granted, there's a lot of other reasons, but Messi has that sort of mentality. So does Ronaldo. You know, those are the players that take you over the line, um, because they just don't accept anything less, you know? And I do think that that is one reason why you can't count PSG out because of, I think Messi's ability, Neymar's ability and Mbappe's ability. And on a good day, they spank everybody, you know, they're just that good. You know, it's going to come down to, uh, it's going to come down to like you hinted at earlier in fight, you know, can they keep it together? Can they keep their shit together when it matters? You know, so we'll see. We will definitely see. I'm going to say it. I don't know. Yeah. Sana, I mean, what do you, you never count. Yeah. I'm going to say it. PSG. Well, number one, you left off a very important name in the young guns. A boy, Anthony. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's... Yeah, I don't know about that at all. Just... <laughs> all right, I'm just trolling. Um, I'm just going to say it. PSG. PSG are the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. That's the we all tweet. know what happened to the Brooklyn Nets. That's it. What's happened to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. They are the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, just yeah. extremely. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The problem is, like, yeah, they, they don't have a lot of assets, you know, outside of, you know, their offense, uh, their midfields, their, their, what, what they have at the back. It's like, it's not up to par with, you know, the best teams in Europe right now. Uh, no. And the thing is, is like it's it's so hard to gauge how good they are because they always they're they're playing in a farmers league, and so the True. only way to really get a litmus test for these guys is the Champions League. And the fact of the matter is, is that they've been underwhelming in every edition recently. And so, you know, of course, like you know, the, the closest they came was two years ago um, to glory. But there's just better teams out there, man. Like it's. Uh, Bayern's still extremely good. You know, City has gotten even stronger. I mean, like at, at some point, you know, the the odds makers who keep saying City's going to win it, at some point you got to figure they'll be right. I mean, with how how that squad like somehow finds a way to improve themselves every year, it's like you look at the City squad last year, and you're like, how do you really make that like 
like any better? And the resounding answer was you add in a world-class striker. Yeah, sure. Why don't we just add like, like one of the best strikers in the game right now and, you know, on his way to becoming the best, like, why don't we just add that? You know, does that solve the problem? Absolutely. It does. And so uh, it, it, there's just too many good teams that are just better rounded than PSG. And it, it's just hard to see. And I understand like, you know, you, you can't bet against guys like Messi, but yeah. it's, I don't know, man, it, it, it's I, getting it. The, the chances that I think their window was two years ago. That was it. Oh, yeah. And it, it's kind of, yeah, you know, because like they had the supporting cast to get the job done too, you know, um, two years ago. And it's, if it wasn't then, it was never really going to be a thing. I mean, they freaking had Marwa Cardi, man. Like that was, that was the, that was the, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was right. The, <laughs> <laughs> the boy who was promised, <laughs> the prince who was promised. Oh my God, dude. He is, he's so bad. Um, you know what's interesting is I agree with you. I, I think their window is probably close, although I do like their coach, Gaultier. I will say that he's a hard man, or he seems like it. He doesn't do it. There's no bullshit about him. He's like, this is the way we're going to do it, you know, and, and he just gets on with it. And there's no media coverage about him, and he's very no-nonsense like the old French teams of the 90s. Um, Deschamps, you know, like he's that kind yeah. of character. Um, but I do think that City – are their fatal flaw is going to be revealed later on. And it's that um, they are, they're missing a central defender. You know, you have Ruben Diaz as this excellent, excellent player. And then you have next to you a liability. And that liability is either named John Stones or Imeric Laporte. Right. And for their own reasons, they have limitations and they're exposed every time. John Stones, we said it the other day. I don't remember if I said this to you or my friend Mike, I was like, he's got an own goal in him. You know, he, he just really does. Like, he's just one of those players who has a hapless own goal. And I think if you look at somebody like Bayern and the way they're playing now, um, after removing Lewandowski, right, a 40-goal striker, and then turning into this fluid swarming mass who do not need the ball necessarily to play, I don't know. It's – I would put my money on Bayern if the stakes were down at the end of the day, you know. They just look too good. Interesting. Yeah. I, right. I, that's my well, pick. My, that's Sana. my pick right now. What do you guys think? Okay, well, Sana, what's what's your pick for Champions League this year? Iron, huh? In it's hard to not say City, right? That's that, that's yeah, what we've been it saying. Like say it's it, it really is hard not to say City. Um, I just. I just feel that when I look at all these teams, yeah, maybe Bayern can can measure up to them. Maybe, um, I mean Lewandowski's another year older now, right? Um, versus City got Holland, like we were talking about. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if if any team really does fully match up to City anymore. Barring like, I guess PSG just based on like pure star power like maybe they yeah. just have more like pure star power than city but if you look at the overall squad and and more importantly like the composition and how well they fit together man i don't know it's really hard to argue against city um they're like they have the star power of psg plus they have like the composition and like 
uh, of buyer. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I know the thing is Pep though, you know, Pep, like it's going to remember what he just makes these mistakes. Like yeah, he didn't right. play Rodri against You're City, right. you know, You're and right. if Pep plays Rodri against City, I mean, sorry, against Chelsea two years ago, that game goes differently, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the bizarre thing, that right? Himself. It's the bizarre thing because he's such a legendary manager and then he just does these things where like you feel like because of because of his pedigree you feel like there's no way he does something like that again and yet it's like every year somehow they find a way to lose and right. but but i i really believe i think holland is they haven't had a holland before no no, no they true. have not had a Holland before. Um, th their defense, like you mentioned, is, is weaker than maybe seasons past, but they've never had a Holland before. This has to be the season. Listen, if this isn't the season, <laughs> this, if this isn't the season, do they, like, does Pep have to go somewhere else? No, I think he stays. I think he stays. I mean, you know, it's Holland, right? Like, he's yeah. 21 years old and he's nasty. You know, yeah, like absolutely. If, if they lose, it won't be down to it'll be if they lose. Well, who knows what will happen? Pep will either. It's like wearing a fedora in an inappropriate situation. You know, like he always does it in some. He's always like showing up at the, to the wrong. He's like going on an alpine vacation and he's got a fedora on. It's the Champions League final. You're like, dude, you should have brought a jacket. It's like, no, 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 I don't need a jacket. I've, I've got this, you know. <laughs> and so like that's what's going to come. I think that's why he stays. Right. It's because yeah. he has that propensity for tragic failure you know, which everybody writes about that. He's there's like now a complex because he's been, he's been at city for what is it? Seven years now, six years, seven years, something like that. Oh, like so that. Much longer than anywhere else. So I don't know. I think he stays for at least another year to try with Holland and De Bruyne. You know, De Bruyne is the, the guy who makes that team go. Really? So you, you want to take advantage of that window because yeah. he's a really special player um, and he's not going to last. I mean, his ankles aren't going to last another five years you know definitely so yeah well yes yeah, i mean there's i mean for i mean you're a fan of a team that's got like you know even bigger problems at the back it would be hypocritical for you to really <laughs> you know undersell the potential of manchester city so no surprises there you know i mean what's a john stones you know yeah, when, what... when, when, when you're supporting a team that's got harry mcguire exactly and, and 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 a and a Varane past his prime. Did I give ten like Harry Maguires for a John yeah, Jones? Okay. And and, and like the and, the and the thing is is and the thing is is like cities like they, they the nice thing is that they play a style and where they just bang in so many goals that like mm -hmm. it's a John Stones OG is like not gonna sink you. Yeah. Yeah. Um and. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna put, you know, and of course, if they really have a problem with the back, they can always, you know, try to go for, you know, Vardiol in the winter. If uh, Chelsea doesn't pick him up, like, uh, it, there's always opportunity to reinforce at the back. I mean, I'll admit, I think uh, they can have McGuire. The window, yeah. The uh... <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah. He needs a different profession. Listen, I mean, I'll I'll pay them. To take McGuire, the Seriously. first negative transfer fee ever. Although I will disagree with you, Eddie, about Varane. I do think Varane is not exactly past his prime. I think 
I think what you deal with with United are the wingbacks, right? You have Wen Basaka, who is a great tackler, not much else. You have Luke Shaw, who has been overhyped to, you know, um, to the highest degree. I mean, I see nothing in Luke Shaw that makes me say, wow, that guy is an inspiration or should be playing left back for my team. You know, like this, just, it's, it's garbage. You know, there are much better players out there and they're available. And I think, you know, I think Varane has class. I really do. You know, do I think that he's Ramos at his prime? No. Do no. I think that he's, um, do I think that he's for your own analog song, um, Ferdinand? No. Do I think he's Vidic? No, I think he's, but I think he's a different, I think he's the type of player that Ten Hag needs to say, you know, to show how to play out of the press. You know, he can play out of the press. He can do it reasonably well and he can follow instructions. Plus he's been there too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like Ferran. I know that there are arguments that he was, um, who was his midfield partner? I mean, it was, or his partner at the back was Ramos for all those years. I know there were arguments that it was Ramos carrying him. But, you know, to an extent, it was that midfield carrying that whole team. I mean, you know, Cruz, Matrich, and Casemiro. And yeah, I mean, that's work. nasty. Which Unreal. is why I'm exactly. also very excited for Casemiro. I, I, was telling, yeah. I was telling Andy this last week. I'm, I'm excited that, like, I feel like it's a pivotal position that we've been missing. Um, we had, we talked about last week, we had good Matic for, you know, all... all all for like a couple of months while he lasted, while his legs lasted, and then, poof, he disappears. We 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 start playing like shit again. Um, you know, we haven't had a stable, long reigning, defensive mid since since Carrick himself. Um, yeah, which was years ago, which is ages ago, right? And so I I feel like, and and here's the thing, it, there's like a a direct correlation between our defense playing like shit. And us not having a stable defense in mid who's like anchoring our team and is like the pivot point between our midfield and our back line. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's Easily. like a, there's a, there's a, there's a strong correlation there. So like, I have to believe, I have to believe that Casemiro is our fucking savior. Also, this is copium, but you know, <laughs> when you're a Manchester United fan, this is, this is all you have. All you have is a hope. <laughs> Yeah, he's a good player. He's a really good player. I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll have to see. Like, I, I, we've just seen way too many, you know, world-class players on their best day, quote-unquote, you know, go to Manchester United and their careers end. And <laughs> Veron seems to be going in that direction. He's not dead. I mean, he's, he's like, he's, he's not their worst option by any means because, of course, we know there can be worse on that squad. But... You know, it doesn't it doesn't take away from the fact that he's just he just one name in a long list like of players that have that were world class before they went to this club and they go and then they just they lose it. They become league average, they become worse. It's it's leave my boy alone, uh, okay? <laughs> yeah. But it's I mean you know you're it, not wrong. It, we it, this is not an unfamiliar, this is not a story that we haven't seen. It's, you know, he's got to do a lot of proving under the new manager for me to like make me feel like he's still got it in him because he just hasn't been anywhere near the player that he was at Madrid uh, ever since he really showed up, honestly. It's true, but I will say I've watched him play a pass 
that made me believe for a second this guy could be a success. And he also is not named Fellaini, Matic, Juan Mata. You know, I mean, you look at like, he's not immobile is what I'm trying to say. Schweinsteiger. At Schweinsteiger, right. Like these guys come to United and the one, the common denominator is, of course, the general malaise. (laughs) Sorry, Sana, (laughs) that just stinks up at United. (laughs) But... (laughs) The common denominator also is athleticism, right? It's like baseline athleticism. You have to want it if you want to compete at the highest level. And that's why Liverpool is, are successful. That's why Chelsea won the Champions League. That's why um, teams like um, Tottenham, Arsenal, Man City all look good right now. It's because they have these guys who are athletic enough to compensate. Even if they don't know exactly where they are tactically, they'll get there because their athleticism can carry them. And I think that, you know, with some of the players that United have signed over the past five years, they haven't had them. You know, they've been past that. Like Matic, he didn't even have that at Chelsea. You know, he was covered in large part because you had Azpilicueta, you know, or guys like that who did all that running for them. So I think with Varane, at least you get two years of that, maybe. I don't know. Uh, And Casemiro, I hope. We'll see. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We we had, um, we tried the athletic route. We tried, (laughs) we tried Martial. We tried Depay. We we tried other folk. (laughs) They were all fucking bad. That's, <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, it's yeah, tough. I mean, we'll bad. see. Yeah, there's some upside. Sancho could have a really good year. He's the kind of player you want to be bringing in. Yeah, you know? we want to unlock Sancho. That's what we want. Right. So he'll either tip, like Andy said, into a boilerplate player way below his standards or he'll light it up. Yep. Uh, well, I think that gives us a little bit of time, Sanha. Let's talk about the NFL. NFL. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll do just a quick season preview. Um, and, and Henry, please feel free to interject um, wherever. Uh, do you have a team? Uh, no, I don't. I grew up with Patriots fans, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, in good conscience, I couldn't root for them because I never, you know, it was uh, my interests um, laid and do lie elsewhere. So, yeah, I can, I can respect that. I also would not. That's just a very salty take, man, and you know it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, well, I'm well aware of that fact. I own it's the same it. thing with the Yankees. It's the same thing with the Yankees. <laughs> Go ahead. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that garbage. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm I'm just gonna go quickly through um by conference by division, who I kind of see as the division winners here. Um, and then give my thoughts on who are kind of favorites for this. But let's start in the AFC. Um, start in the AFC East, where the Patriots are. Faded in. Um, so you have the Bills, the Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Jets here in this division. I mean, obviously you can rule out the Jets meet. They're they're not doing anything here. Um, they're just too young. They don't have pretty much anything set in stone. Um, they're several years away. Um, the Patriots are interesting, but the problem with the Patriots is that reportedly their offense has been stinking it up all preseason, all offseason. 
Um, Andy and I, we talked about how Matt Patricia, their ex-defensive coordinator, is now their offensive coordinator. And this motherfucker, instead of keeping it all the same, he comes in and he's like, you know what? We're going to change our running scheme entirely. We're going to implement an entirely new running scheme. And I'm a defensive coordinator. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway, okay? This motherfucker comes in and apparently it's been a complete nightmare. A complete disaster. And the offense looks like shit. So, um, um, bad news for Patriots fans. You ain't winning the division this year. I'm sorry. You might not even go to the playoffs this year if this keeps happening. Anyway. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Dolphins are also very interesting because, you know, they had the big signing of Tyree Kill, right? Um, they got a new head coach, Mike McDaniel, at, uh, the offensive coordinator from Niners. Um, they have... Some of the right pieces, it's all going to come down to Tua Tagovailoa and, and how well he can play, how how much uh, he can take advantage of the new system and the new pieces around him. Um, They're not going to win the division. <laughs> they, yeah, they have it's a good, pretty clear, yeah. They have a good the, roster. The winners are clear this year. Yeah, I think the winner is clear that it's going to be the Buffalo Bills. Um, Clearly, they were dominant last season. They they just got better through the season. And Josh Allen, their quarterback, just reached a whole nother level. You know, we're talking about, you know, the level where only him, Patrick Mahomes, and one year younger Aaron Rodgers exist. And, you know, that kind of that kind of level. Uh, he reached that last year. I, I expect that to continue. Um, and I can't imagine the Bills losing um, the division to any of these other teams. I expect, I fully expect him to get 13 wins, if not more. Um, the AFC North. Uh, I, I think this one's a little tough. Uh, I think the Steelers are not going to be there. Uh, they don't really have a quarterback and, and, and their offensive line is trash. Uh, so I, I don't think they really have a chance. The Browns, we talked about the Deshaun Watson suspension. Um, if they had Deshaun the entire season, maybe they have a real shot. Um, Without him for 11 games, ah, oh man, I, I think it's going to look real rough for them uh, to even get into the playoffs. Um, they'd have to, you know, keep like a 500-ish record going, like, you know, going into week 12. And, and even that may be tough for for that roster out to Sean. Um, so then it comes down to the Ravens and the Bengals. So the Bengals were in the Super Bowl last year, despite only going 10-7 and seven during the regular season. So not a super strong um, record, but momentum was on their side. They improved every single week last season. And 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 that's why I kind of give them the edge here, because I think they just are going to continue to get better. Their team is so young. The core is so young. Even their head coach is really young. They're all learning. They're all still developing. And, you know, all the signs from last year were super positive, and they just kept growing every single week. That I can't imagine that that stops. Um, the Ravens were a little, they were a little unlucky last year with a bunch of injuries. Um, to be to be frank, um, and so I think they underperformed. But the problem for the Ravens is that they did nothing to bolster their offense. Um, all they did was lose their top receiver during this offseason, and then they they did nothing. Right? They they did nothing to replace him. Um, they didn't. They're not helping out Lamar at all. I. I I don't know what's going on with this team. 
uh, it'll be, I think it'll be close between them and the Bengals, but I, I expect the Bengals to come out there. Um, so you're yeah, pro you can't, you can't really Lamar. expect, like, yeah. What'd you yeah, say? Lamar Jackson to play any better than, like, he has. Like, he's kind of, like, what more can you ask out of Lamar Jackson? And, like, that's kind of the problem. Like, the, the upside, I don't see it either. Gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be rough. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, and, and that's the thing, is last year, Last year, they because of all the injuries, they had to throw the ball more, which means utilizing Lamar more, and and they disappointed. Like that's that's kind of like is that the ceiling? Maybe that's the maybe that's the ceiling. Um, all right, AFC South. Uh, we got the Texans, Colts, Jags, Titans. Um, we can rule out the Texans pretty easily here. They're not doing anything here. The Jaguars are interesting. It's 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 really weird for me to say that the Jaguars don't look like shit because they've looked like shit for so long. Like, you know, it's it's one of those teams that that you just are used to them sucking really, really bad. But this season, I don't know. Like, they have some is talent. This Trevor Lawrence's season? I mean, do you believe in that guy? This has to be a season. The thing is, the thing is, last season, he didn't have a real coach. <laughs> because yeah. Urban Meyer is not a real NFL coach, okay? When you're when you're right, go, he's, when he's you're go- too busy in bars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's too busy, you know, not being with his wife in Ohio or fucking <laughs> kicking his players in during practice. What kind of fucking professional yeah. head coach goes around kicking his players? Like, that's that's that pretty fucked. That's really bad. Yeah, it doesn't. So, um, who is their coach now? Sorry. Um, it is Doug Peterson, former head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. The right. uh, the Super Bowl winning coach there. Uh-huh. Yes, he was the coach when the Eagles defeated the the Patriots in that Super Bowl with the Philly special and all of that with Nick Foles. Um, with both teams Still throwing special. for like almost 500 fucking yards, um, no okay. de- no defense was played during that Super Bowl. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a great thing for Trevor Lawrence. He has an offensive-minded coach who has proven that he's got it done before. He's won a Super Bowl before, right? Um, I mean, just by that, just by that, just by having a real coach instead of Urban Meyer. You know, that already goes a long way in helping Trevor Lawrence's development. But on top of that, you add they added a new receiver in Christian Kirk. Uh Travis Etienne, his uh college um his college running back is coming back from because he didn't play last season due to injury. Um, so he's gonna have him as well, who he was a favorite target of Trevor Lawrence's in college. Um so there are a lot of things going the right way for the Jaguars. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they have a lot of talent. <clears throat> um, they they have the first overall pick. And, you know, everything kind of looks pretty good for the Jaguars. The best thing about the Jaguars this season is that if you look at their roster, you just see a lot of athletes. And I love mm-hmm. seeing that on team. I'm like, a, I, I'm a huge proponent in football of having athletes. Like, kind of like, um, Henry, what you mentioned in, in soccer of, you know, if you have the athleticism, you can figure out the tactics and all that stuff because your athleticism will, will kind of help you make up for it. Football, it, it, to me, is it, very similar. Like, if you yeah. if you have the traits, if you have the physical traits, then, you know, you just need the right coaching 
um, and the coaches around you to develop you in the right way and you can get there. Um, but if you don't have the right traits, there's like nothing you can do. It's not like you can grow an extra three inches. It's not like you can all of a sudden run like a four, three, when you were running like a four, seven before, like that doesn't like magically happen. Um, um, you can't just like coach, you can't coach speed. You can't coach size. Like you can't, you can't coach these things. Um, but the Jaguars, their roster, they, they look really athletic. They have a bunch of athletes. They have a bunch of former first round picks. Um, I don't think they put it together this season. But they're definitely a team to to look out for. Um, so then the division comes down to the Indianapolis Colts and the, and the Tennessee Titans. So um, it, I, I'm a Colts fan. Um, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. So I don't want to sound biased, but God damn, our team looks good this year. Um, <laughs> we we finally filled our one hole, which was quarterback. Um, our our defense is solid all all across. Like our line is solid. Our linebackers are solid. solid. Our, our secondary is solid. Maybe nothing special, but it's a top 10 unit overall. Um, and then our offense, obviously, we have the best running back in the league. I'm going to say it. Jonathan Taylor. Um, behind what is a very... Not a hot take. Not a hot take. Not a hot take. Not a hot take. I'm saying how it is. Yeah, um, yeah. And then behind a very solid offensive line. Um, and wide receiver maybe is our only position where we have some holes because we don't have like the, the, the guy who's already proven it. We have Michael Pittman who looked really good last season, but he needs to prove that he can do that week in week out for over an entire season um, this year. And then we have a few developmental guys behind him, um, Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce. But most importantly, you know, we can, we can kind of, uh, we can, Get over all of that because now we have an actual quarterback. We, we have a real quarterback. Someone not named Carson Wentz because fuck that guy. Um, we have Matt Ryan now. We have Matt Ryan, former uh, quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. He's been to a Super Bowl before. He throws for 4,500 yards every fucking season, whether his team is good, bad, terrible. Um, it doesn't matter. This guy does it. He's really, really smart. He's a veteran. He's a professional um i'm super excited i'm super excited for matt ryan um i think the colts have the edge over the titans um this season the titans they lost their number one wide receiver and they drafted a a rookie to replace him um reports in camp say that the rookie is definitely not wide receiver one he's wide receiver three at best um, I think a lot of people are projecting to be wide receiver four right now on the depth chart. So it doesn't look so hot. I think it's going to take some time to to develop the the young talent on the roster. Um, so I'm giving the Colts an edge here. Um, I think it'll be close, though. I think it'll be close, but um, I'm giving the Colts an edge. Um, AFC West. This is the best division in a football, and it's going to be the toughest to predict. You have the Denver Broncos with new quarterback Russell Wilson. You have the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and there's nothing else to say there. You have the the Raiders with an actual head coach on top of the fact that they brought in one of the best wide receivers in the league who is a perfect system fit for your head coach. And then you have the Los Angeles Chargers who has maybe the best just pure pocket passer in the league in Justin Herbert. Um, And then they added Khalil Mack to their defense, which is already loaded. Um, So... You could really make a case for any of these four teams. I think this is kind of a hot take. I think last place is actually the Broncos. 
um, with Russell Wilson. And, and I'm going to say that not because I think Russell Wilson is the worst quarterback of, of the four here, but because I think their offensive line just isn't good enough to to support the offense in, in the right way um, to compete with the rest of the with the rest of the team here. Because the problem is that in this division, if you're going to win, you have to outscore your opposition, and it's going to be it's going to be a lot of points scored because you have the Chiefs with Mahomes, you have the Chargers with Herbert, you have the Raiders with now Josh McDaniels as their head coach. Like there are going to be a lot of points scored in this division, and if your offensive line sucks, I don't know, man. The Chiefs have Chris Jones, um, the Chargers have Bosa and Khalil Mack. Uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be rough for them. I'm projecting them last, and then the Raiders on top of them. Um, you give it to the Chiefs. I I'm not sure actually, because I I believe that if you look at the rosters, the Chargers are actually the better overall roster. Okay, but I think I'm gonna give it to the Chiefs. <laughs> I think I'm gonna give it to the Chiefs because. Mahomes is a monster. Like, Mahomes, man. Mahomes. He's been there. He's done it. He, exactly. He's been there. He's done it. And, and I think the biggest thing is that they're going to be motivated. They're going to be motivated that they didn't get it done last year. They're going to be motivated that they lost Tyree Kill. And a lot of people are saying, oh, they can't do it with Tyree Kill. They can't win without Tyree Kill. They're going to be motivated by that. They're they're that kind of team. They're that kind of team. Andy Reid is that kind of head coach where he takes those things and motivates his team. Um, and then on top of that, I low-key think, and this is just from, you know, things that I've heard, that having Tyree Kill was actually a negative for Patrick Mahomes because Hill demanded the ball so And so without Hill on the team, it should give Mahomes a bit more freedom to really distribute the ball in his best way, in the way that he thinks is best, um, and, and may facilitate a more natural... A rhythm for the offense um and 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 Mahomes may have the best season of his career without Tyreek Hill it's like a Byron Lewandowski thing you know you remove that guy who demands the ball all the time and you become more fluid yes yeah. exactly yes exactly it's like it's like what Andy Sell uh said about about United when Ronaldo's in right yeah all, all the focus goes there um and and without that I don't know I think I think they could they could you know Get to the next level. Um, so that's the AFC. Um, let's go quickly through the NFC because what are we at? 126? All right. Uh, the NFC East. Shit show of a division. Uh, you have the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, the Eagles, <laughs> and the Washington Commanders. Um, but let's let's just go ahead and cross out the Giants and the Commanders because um, they don't have real quarterbacks. Um, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Danny dies, though. Danny dies. Danny dies just got erased. Yeah, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm probably being too harsh on on uh, Daniel Jones here. Um, I think Daniel Jones actually has talent, but this will be this will be the season where he has to prove it because if he doesn't prove it this season, he's done. He's no longer a starter in this league, and no one's going to give him a chance to be a starter. He's going to be a backup forever if he wants football in the NFL. Um, this is it. They they put more pieces on the offensive line. They gave him offensive weapons. Saquon Barkley is coming back. This is it. This, this is the last chance. Um, mm. Then you have the Cowboys and the Eagles. So I think the Eagles have both the better roster 
and the better odds to win the division this year. And I think it's because the Eagles, their game plan fits together really well in that their talent is really loaded on the defensive side of the ball. And on the offensive side of the ball, they have a running quarterback with a great offensive line, which should facilitate um, good running a good run game. And so it really the the team composition kind of fits together, wherein you want to play tough defense, physical defense, and then also you want to run the ball a lot, um, and so that your defense you're taking time off the clock and your defense is getting rested right throughout the game. So I think they have the right kind of team composition to do better than the Cowboys this season, where the Cowboys is kind of, I don't really unknow what they want to do. Like, I think their their owner and general manager, Jerry Jones, I think he wants to run the ball with Ezekiel Elliott, but I think their head coach, Mike McCarthy, wants to keep throwing the ball with Dak Prescott. There's some sort of like dissonance there between, you know, the, the general manager slash owner and the head coach. And I just really don't think that's going to coalesce well um, with how the team functions. And, and it's been that way for a while now. So frankly, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys end up disappointing, like going, you know, nine wins, even 10 wins would be kind of disappointing for a team with that much talent. Um, Is this their last year together, Dak and um, Zeke Elliott? I mean, it uh, feels like, even as a casual fan, it feels like they've been together for a few years now and that window must be closing. For sure. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think Zeke is really the big one here where he, he kind of, I feel like he's hit a wall um, almost over the, over the last year. Um, we'll see this year how, how he looks, but he just looks slower. He doesn't have the same sort of acceleration. Uh, he, he's not the same player that he was two, even yeah. just two seasons ago. Um, luckily they do have a backup in Tony Pollard who is super dynamic. Um, but Jerry Jones, for some reason is, is just obsessed with Zeke. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, anyways, projecting the Eagles there. NFC North, uh, yeah, you have the Bears, the Lions, the Packers and the Vikings. I mean, th this is, this is pretty easily the Packers here. Uh, they have a fantastic roster on, on um, especially the defensive side of the ball. They are super deep on defense. Um, and then on the offense side of the ball, listen, they don't have any wide receivers, but they have Aaron Rodgers. So, and he just had a spiritual experience in Peru or something, exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> so he, he's a whole new man. He's, he's enlightened. He is, exactly. He is Buddha. He can he do is, no wrong. Yeah, exactly. He's on a. He's on another plane now. He's, on, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a tattoo. He's, yeah, he's, he's ready to go. He's elevated. Anyway, um, so you have Aaron, but th that's a real big question here because. Um, Rogers is, is, he's very, very, uh, picky with his wide receiver. Yeah. He, uh, he doesn't like throwing to rookies. He needs you as a wide receiver to earn his trust for him to throw to you. That's why he made the Packers go fucking sign Randall Cobb from God knows how long ago. How, how old is Randall now? Randall Cobb is 32 years old and, and this guy, this guy can barely run anymore. All right, listen, this guy, he's like he's like watching my grandpa out there trying to run. And 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 he forced the Packers to bring him back because he didn't trust any of the other wide receivers that they have. The problem this year is going to be that they have a bunch of rookies and then they have Randall Cobb and then they have Alan Lazard. And, and that's it. Like, they don't have a true wide receiver one. They don't even have a true wide receiver two, frankly. Um, so 
we'll we'll see how how Aaron Rodgers handles it. Of course, he's an all time great. Um, I'm sure he'll figure it out. He'll figure something out. Um, but so far, you haven't heard anything good coming coming from the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and his wide receivers. So that's going to be the big big question mark. Luckily for them, there's really no one else in their division who's going to challenge them, other than maybe the Vikings. But the Vikings, their defense is, you know, it's two years late for the Vikings defense, unfortunately. Um, their stars are on the wrong side, all on the wrong side of 30 um, on the defensive side of the ball. And then their offense should be pretty good this year, but their offensive line is also nothing to to ride home about. So I expect the Packers to pretty handily win. Um, and then our final two here. So at the NFC South, uh, where the Falcons sit, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Buccaneers, I mean, obviously, this is going to be a race between the Saints and the Buccaneers. The Falcons, again, like many other terrible teams, they don't have a QB. Um, and then the Panthers, I don't even know what's going on with the Panthers, man. Like, they have a QB. It's just not the it's not the it's not the right kind. Yeah, they 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 have a QB. I man, but his name is Baker Mayfield. I don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know what to make of Baker at, at, at this point in his career. It, it, he's so up and down. He's injury prone, but I... He's a college guy, right? I mean, he's, you know, he's just not built for the... I don't know. I mean, the, the, you tell me, you know, he seems like he seems like a more in control, but still on the same plane like Manziel. You know, he was great when it came to, his, uh, you know, just dishing it out, you know, in a long form offense, but the decisions seem to be beyond him. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's true. He's he's definitely on another level than Manziel, but yeah, it, okay. it's definitely true that he is he, he is the gunslinger. And and it's not that gunslingers right. are bad. It's not that gunslingers are bad. You can be a good gunslinger. But yeah. um man, like you have to be really, really, really good at fucking football to be to be a gunslinger and, and like you think yeah. back in history, there's Brett Favre. There, like t- in today's game, there's like Mahomes, there's Josh Allen. Does M- Baker have the same level of talent as those guys? No, he, he definitely does not. Um, yeah. and, and, and Stafford, maybe. Yeah, yeah and may- maybe Stafford. Yeah. Um, and and even Stafford has better arm talent than than Baker Mayfield. And, and so, I, Baker is definitely should be a starting QB in the NFL, but I don't know if you're going to with with honest. Maybe, maybe if you have a really, really good defense, um, and and you kind of put the right pieces around him so that he can more so manage the game rather than try to carry the game. Um, but I don't know. It looks rough to me. Um, the Panthers have have a lot of things anyway. Um, the biggest question for them is is can McCaffrey, can Christian McCaffrey, their running back, stay healthy for for an entire season? If he can. He might be the best running back in the league, um, but that's true. Yeah, yeah, but if he can't, eh, everything kind of goes downhill. Um, so it's really come down to the Saints and the Buccaneers. The Saints are interesting because I think their overall roster is quite strong. It's just that they don't have Drew Brees anymore, so they're starting Jameis Winston, who has, you know, traditionally been and historically a very mistake-prone quarterback. Uh, he throws a ton, as many uh, as many yards and touchdowns he throws for. He throws just as many interceptions um, and fumbles the ball just as much, which is the biggest problem. 
Um, and you know, in, in football, head coaches will tell you, you win the turnover battle and you win the game. That's how you win football games at, at, the, at the pro level. And, and when your quarterback, the guy who touches the ball literally the most of any player on your team is a turnover machine, it's hard to win a lot of games. Um, now, that being said, I think their roster, their offensive system and scheme puts Jameis in a better place than before. Jameis had typically, in in, in years past, especially on the Buccaneers, um, he had always been in a system where he's trying to throw the ball aggressively down the field often, constantly. And obviously, when you do that, you're inherently more prone to making mistakes because they're uh, throws of higher difficulty, right? Um, on the Saints, he may not have to do that as much because their scheme is more based on like this West Coast scheme where you're making shorter passes, intermediate passes. You're trying to slowly make your way up the field rather than just like, you know, going for bombs constantly. So... If he can adjust to the scheme, uh, make good decisions, then he has all the talent in the world to make this team one of the best in the NFL. But I can't really put them above the Buccaneers this season uh, with a, a veteran. Wow. Yeah, as savvy as Tom Brady. And it's it is not just that they have Tom Brady. It's that their roster is so fucking solid. They have a top five roster in the league when you look at both their offense and their defense like look at their defense it's just fucking all it's it's it's, it's pro bowlers and all-stars like everywhere across the field and then you look at the offense they have mike evans they still have chris godwin they just signed julio jones um they have leonard fournette and then um and then you have tom brady to to kind of facilitate the offense in the right way the biggest question for the buccaneers this year is going to be they have some weaknesses in their interior offensive line and it's due to injuries. Their their um their all star center Ryan Jensen he's out for the probably the majority of the season due to an injury. And then they have weaknesses on both guard spots. Um, and the problem there is that Tom Brady historically the way to attack him has been to attack the interior offensive line because Tom Brady what he really likes to do he's not a very mobile quarterback so he doesn't like to go like outside of the pocket. What he likes to do is when the pressure comes um, from the outside towards him, he likes to step up in the pocket forward towards the towards the line of scrimmage and then make his pass. The problem is that when your interior offensive line is weak, you don't have a pocket to step up into anymore. And so when that happens, Tom Brady has historically been really, really bad. It's a, it's a stark difference between an unpressured uh, Tom Brady throwing the ball versus a pressured Tom Brady throwing the ball. Um, so that's going to be the big question. Can their interior offensive line give Tom Brady enough time and enough space to step up in the pocket and make an unpressured throw, or are they going to fold to the pressure and then Tom Brady gets pressure on him and he plays some of his worst football? Um, that's going to be the big yeah. question. I think they have enough depth to make it happen, to make it work. And I think Tom Brady is savvy enough to throw the ball quickly, you know, go for more short passes instead of going for longer passes, waiting. Um, I, I think that they have the ability to do that, um, which is why I'm going to put them number one in the NFC South. Yeah, I, I just can't see Tom Brady, like, you know, his career ending because of a like a deficiency in his understanding of the game or tactics. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the physical thing that, you know, ends it. And right. so 
like you know i i just yeah i can't see like you know the stepping into the pocket like he's gonna find another way to right. be you know another game plan the only question is, is his body gonna be able to do it for him uh so it's yeah i i don't see you know that being a problem personally if he accidentally eats a tomato though he might you know that might be it for him <laughs> <laughs> did you did you see his face though in his latest press conference no yeah i mean yeah it looks like a ghoul <laughs> i mean i mean wasn't his quote like you know I'm 45 years old, man. I got a lot of shit going on. Dude, he looks like he looks like the fucking Green Goblin, like without the mask. <laughs> oh, Willem Dafoe? Yeah, yeah he's kind of waxing Willem Dafoe, isn't he? He fucking look at this guy. My God, I'm, Poor surp- Tom. I'm surprised he's not graying. Colors his hair. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, final division here: NFC South or NFC West. Where you have the Cardinals, the Rams, the Niners, and the Seahawks. Um, we'll we'll cross off the Seahawks for now. They also don't have a real quarterback. Um, and then, so it, it's between three teams here: the Niners, who are somehow a contender despite not having a real quarterback; the Rams, who are reigning Super Bowl champions; and then the Cardinals, who seem to not understand how to win or play football after Week Eleven every. Um, it's a it's a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre division to kind of analyze um we'll start with the Niners who for my money has the best roster in football better than the Rams even better the Rams have a lot of star power but the Niners if you go position by position and depth man I don't know if there's a better roster in football than the San Francisco 49ers they have they have pro bowlers everywhere on the defense. They have the best linebacker in football, Fred Warner. They have monsters on the defensive line. Their secondary is super, super solid. And then you go to the offense. Their offensive line is one of the best in football. Then you have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk uh, as wide receivers. You have maybe the best combo tight end in George Kittle. Um, and then really, and then you just have like a stable of running backs. Any which one who could run for a thousand yards for you know, behind Kyle Shanahan's run scheme. Um, it doesn't really matter who you have. The question, the big, obviously the big question is the quarterback. Is Trey Lance, the former third overall pick that they traded up for and they gave up a shit ton, a shit ton of capital for, who didn't start a game last season for them. Has he and will he be ready to lead this team a playoff run and i don't know he he looked he looked really shaky during the preseason if i'm being honest didn't look that good um i think his motion has gotten a little better but nothing it's nothing pretty um i don't think he's as dynamic as as a runner as like lamar jackson or even kyler murray um or even like jalen hurts uh, Justin Fields. I don't think he's as dynamic as a runner as as any of those guys. Uh, I think he's a notch below. So then, like, what does he really have if he like can't throw as good as them or run as good as them? Like, is he really a starting quarterback in this league? The problem is that the Niners are kind of just priced into starting him um, at the beginning of the season because they spent so much draft capital on him. Um, they they have to see at the very least you know what he's like what he's worth right they they have to see 
what he's able to do. Um, the problem is that their other quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, has not been traded, has not been released, so he's still on the roster. But apparently, he hasn't been, like, going to the meetings. He hasn't been doing, like, the team practices or anything. Like, he's still at the facility and, like, growing with, like, you know, positional coaches and stuff. But he hasn't been, like, part of the team practices. He hasn't been part of those meetings or anything like that. So it seems like they're really, really trying to commit to Trey Lance. Man, I just, I just have a bad feeling that it's a disaster waiting to happen. Can't possibly. I just don't. I just don't. Well, it, it, it's a gamble. I mean, but like that's like, like you said, it's it's the only question mark, right? With that team, it's um, and but the thing is, like you know, we it's too early to really write them off either. So it's kind of yeah. yeah. I, it'll be an interesting case. I mean, because yeah, the upside is certainly there, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's the Niners, and then you have the Rams, who are the reigning Super Bowl. They also have a very, very good roster, uh, full with, you know, just, it's just star-studded, right? They just have stars here, stars there. Aaron Donald returned after a Super Bowl, which was kind of up in the air um, after the Super Bowl. Um, question marks here are, number one, who is their running back? Because Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson, both of them were injured and are still recovering. Um, so can either of them stay healthy uh, over the course of the season because the run game is very important for the Rams. Um, to give you some context, the Rams run probably 90% of their offensive plays um, out of single back personnel, meaning that the quarterback is not in shotgun. So he, he's getting the ball from the center and then he's either stepping back or he's passing it off. Meaning the, the, the advantage of doing that for every single play though is that you can never fucking tell as a defense if they're going to run it or pass it. Because it looks the fucking same every single time, right? That's the advantage of it, but, but, which is why it's important that you have a good running game. Because if you don't, then the threat is no longer there, right? Um, so you have to have an effective running game for the defense to actually be, you know, on their toes of, I don't know if they're going to run it or, or pass it. Um, anyway, so that's one question. The other question is, Matt Stafford apparently is dealing with an injury to his throwing arm. And I think, Andy, maybe we talked about this before. It's like this weird injury where it's, um, man, how do they describe it? It's like a pitcher's inj injury is, is how they describe it. It's an injury that a, a baseball pitcher would have, not necessarily that a, a, a football quarterback would have. Um, and so it, it's just this bizarre injury that, like, no one can really figure out why and how he got this injury because – Quarterbacks don't typically get this kind of arm injury, um, and it has been bothering him since last and since late last season. Uh, so it, we'll, we'll see what happens with with him because it, without a, a healthy Matt Stafford, I don't frankly know how far this team goes because it's not like they have you know um, an established veteran uh, backup quarterback. Who, who is going to just you know take on the reins and and can and can run the the offense as efficiently as Matt Stafford would? Um, so that's the big question here. Obviously, they have you know as much talent as anyone, so they they should be favorites um, to to return to this. And then you have the Cardinals, 
the most bizarre fucking team somehow after week 11 of every season fucking suck like they're really 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 good like up until week 11 and then after that they really really suck and i ran into this very very interesting i'm gonna call it analysis um and you'll you'll soon figure out why i'm calling it analysis quote unquote um that every year around week 11 a new call of duty release and, <laughs> and and you you know who really likes call of duty tyler murray wow which is hilarious. Which is fucking hilarious that those two things just happen to coincide. But is it a coincidence? Like, so Annie and I talked about this like several weeks ago about uh, Kyler Murray's contract. He got a new contract, but originally in his new contract, there was like some clause about um, how he needs to like do some more like studying, like film study and. Um, like independent study outside of just like regular practice because apparently he hasn't been doing that and so like when you when you add that up with the fact that he really likes call of duty and That's then the new call of duty releases around week 11 and then the team always sucks after that point maybe there's something there like yeah take his xbox away 100 <laughs> I mean percent yeah i mean you would expect but I, like is that kind of what the team was, like, going for with that clause in his contract of, like, not fucking gaming in, in Week 11 and fucking study your goddamn playbook? Like, you know, there's precedent for it. I mean, there. I don't know if you heard this years ago, but Andy Murray, um, you know, Britain's great hope yeah. to win a major, had uh, this really supportive girlfriend who apparently gave him an ultimatum and said, you are either training or playing Call of Duty, believe it or not, or something to that ilk, like some <laughs> popular, like Halo or something. Yeah. And um, she was like, you have to you have to stop and like propose to me and focus on this relationship. And then he, <laughs> he dropped it and then his tennis got better. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it's a pervasive game. You don't want the relationship? Or the Call of Duty. Right. No, he dropped the he dropped the Call of Duty and got married to his now wife and, and won a couple majors. But it's, Damn. you know, it's a real distraction. It really is. It really is. As, a, as an avid gamer, <laughs> I, I can speak firsthand um, that, that it can be a, a big distraction. So anyway, um, I'm predicting... Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna predict the Niners. I'm gonna predict the Niners. The Niners, um, okay. I think they're due for one. First of all, I think they're due for one. Um, and, and the downside is not really as bad as you make it out to be. Is what I, is like yes, you know. yes. The, the the worst case scenario for this team is that they start 0-3 with Trey Lance, and they say, "Okay, Jimmy G, we're really, 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 really sorry. Please come back." So, like, that's the worst case scenario for the team with the best roster in the league, right? Um, so, I think 
all of the upside is there. This team is so fucking talented. They have such a fucking smart head coach. Oh, God. Like, Trey Lance, he's so bad. <laughs> so who's who's going to win the Super Bowl, the whole thing this year? The whole thing this year. I'm going to... I'm going to give it to my boys and not the Colts. The Bills. <laughs> you thought I was going to say the Colts, oh, yes. didn't you? You thought I was going to say the Colts. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Bills. Uh, I, I think the Bills got better this season. I think that Josh Allen can has one more step to take um, past where he was last season. Um, I think he gets another year with his wide receivers he got another um, uh, receiving threat out of the backfield in James Cook, a rookie out of Georgia this year. And then their defense should also be better this season. I think all the signs point to the Bills. They're they're kind of the, the hot team, right? They're kind of the hot team. And it should be a fun one. I, I, I'm projecting that it's going to be the Chiefs against the Bills in the AFC Championship. And, oh man, like... This is why I love football. We used to have we used to have Manning Brady. Now we have Mahomes Allen. Like the storylines and the narratives just write themselves, and they're so much fun. They're so much fun because both the quarterbacks are so just they're so fucking good. They're like I know it's early to say, but they're going to they're both of them are going to go down as all-time greats. Though that's the kind of talent. That they have it's exactly what we were seeing before like you know 10 15 years ago with manning and brady um just like you know five seven years into their careers they had this intense rivalry and people were already saying at that point that they have the talent to be all-time greats it's the same thing here they're both still young they're both under the age of 30 they have good teams around him uh around them they also have good head coaches as well Man, like I, I'm just, I'm just so excited for football, man. It, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a great season, and I really, really hope that we get to see Mahomes Allen because last season's game again with both of them was a fucking banger, and if they meet up again in the playoffs this season, man, it, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be another banger, and hopefully Josh Allen's uh chance to, to, to move on this time. Nice. Yeah, I mean for sure, like it's a Josh Allen's like. Josh Allen has led a Bills that I have never seen in my lifetime. I think, like, like my short lifetime of actually watching football, it's like (laughs) the Bills were the like golden standard of mediocrity to just you know stinking up the entire joint. And Josh Allen has really you know turned that franchise around. So, I mean, I I can see it happening, man. The boy. Um, But in any case, uh, I think that concludes the end of this uh, concludes this podcast. Henry, any last thing that you want to say to the listeners? Uh, you guys are lucky to have such great hosts giving you all of the inside takes on sports knowledge. So thank you, Andy, and thank you, Sana, for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for joining great. us. And of course, like, you know, you're, you're always, you know, invited to come back uh, if you ever want to talk about more stuff. And uh, yeah. But that that concludes it for uh, today. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, And as always, keep it 111. See ya. Appreciate it, guys. See ya.